Hey there, welcome to night school. Got a Friday morning one here going. Pretty mellow right now because I'm just, I'm like three big gulps into my first coffee, not to be confused with Big Gulps, capital B, capital G, the branded Big Gulp that we all know from 7-Eleven. Don't know that I've ever had a Big Gulp. Don't know that I've ever had a Big Gulp. Uh, But I was thinking about, you know, when you can trace something back to a certain person or a certain moment, and I told this story not very long ago about, you know, like the Puerto Rican dude from Florida who lived with uh, us for a year when I was a teenager, and how he, he, he's the one who told me, you know, you don't have to worry about people who, you know, he, I mean, he put it in terms of gangsters, where he said, you know, you don't have to worry about somebody who's actually a gangster, you have to worry about the wannabes, and how that's so true in every walk of life, the sort of people you have to keep an eye out for are the people who are insecure and trying to prove something, the people who have actually established themselves Chances are you don't have to worry about them at all, or if you do have to worry about them, you're pretty much powerless because, you know, they have so much, uh, they've managed to, whatever, their process is so ingrained in whatever it is they're doing. Uh, You know, it's like people who say, like, Bernie Madoff, the biggest gangster in the world, you know, and that's true. You know, you think about somebody like that where it's like the average person doesn't have to worry about a banker and there's nothing you can do i don't even know what bernie madoff was i don't even know what bernie madoff was i don't you know you hear that name a million times during a a five-year period and it's like i look back and i'm like who was he again i know that he took a lot of money from a lot of people but yeah it's not like you don't have to worry about the real gangsters it's just that you know in your daily life it's the people who are these hungry, uh, you know, it's people who are trying to prove something. But anyway, I I talked a lot about that. And I was also just thinking about the way that certain people can impact your life without you even realizing it necessarily. Because I've been running again, and I've been trying not to talk about it much. I've been trying not to talk about it because it's very easy for me to talk about it. Although, you know, I I haven't been pushing myself. I haven't, I've been pushing myself, but I haven't been like, because running for me for that three or four years that I was dedicated to it was, it started out as, oh, here's a little experiment. I'm going to try, when I'm on hikes, I'm going to try running uphill. And then I was like, that, that feels good. It feels good to run uphill. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start doing this more often. I'm going to do it for a half hour. I'm going to run for a half hour. And then that becomes an hour. Then that becomes like, I'm going to try to run up as many steep hills as possible. I'm going to run for three hours. I don't think I ever ran a marathon, but I definitely ran some half marathons. Uh, You know, I just, I looked at maps after running. I did cross country running. Um, So it was very much about pushing myself. It was very much about these extremes. I mean, there was one time where I ran the stairs in my house for three hours. I just kept hitting the vape, staying real stoned. And I just kept running continuously. I don't know how you measure that. I don't know how you measure that out in terms of uh, distance. And who cares? And I mean, that's the whole thing for me with fitness. That's the whole thing for me with anything like that is I never want to measure it. Like when I got into a very strict diet, I told myself I'm never going to calorie count. 
I'm never going to get into the macros. Oh, how many macros? And I know that's smart. And I know that it would be a, a, a more efficient way to build muscle. I know it would be a more efficient way to cut weight. But I try not to even think in those terms. You know, I try not to even think in those terms because inevitably that stuff will creep in. Like inevitably I do take a look at how many calories are in something, but I don't add it up. You know, I pay attention to how my body feels, like whether I feel like I'm stuffing myself. You know, I I pay attention to stuff like that. I look at how much protein is in something. There was a period where I listened to podcasts that tended to talk about you know, how much protein you should consume, how, you know, I try not to eat many carbs, you know, there's things like that, the basic guidelines I follow. And you do get a real sense for what's good for you, or, you know, you get a sense for this. You know, I always like my, and I'm eventually going to get to my point, but it goes back to me to like, I, I have this philosophy where I will say, what would somebody have done a 1000 years ago, or 500 years ago, or 300 years ago? What would somebody have done then if they were trying to... First of all, they probably wouldn't have even cared about any of this. The idea of like, oh, fitness. I'm going to I'm gonna cultivate fit... You know, whatever it is we do. It probably wouldn't even have crossed their mind. They're just focused on survival and sustenance. Maybe. I don't know. But, but let's say that I had the freedom and opportunity to develop my body or to live a certain lifestyle related to fitness and health. Let's say that I had that goal back then. I would think like, what would I do then? Well, I would say you trust your intuition. You trust your body. You figure out what feels right when you eat it. You look at the results. You notice. I mean, how many things end up coming back to just noticing? And how many things come back to people telling you not to notice? That's how you know somebody's trying to control you, and we're seeing that a lot right now, is when they get mad at you for noticing things. They get mad at you for noticing. That's how you know somebody's trying to wield ghoulish power over you. How dare you notice something? But noticing things about yourself, and that's a great point, because people don't even want you to notice things about yourself. Just keep eating that ice cream. Self-care. Oh, I love seeing that hot self-care. Oh, you're looking so good. You, I bet you feel good, too, with all that ice cream and self-care. I'm glad you do it every night. Just watch another Netflix. Just, oh, it's quarantine. It's coronavirus quarantine. Cut yourself a break. Watch another Netflix. Eat a little ice cream, baby. You know, that sort of attitude, which has its place. It's not like that doesn't have its place, but just it's funny how, like, that's almost mandated <laughs> it's it's mandated now <laughs> have you had your coronavirus quarantine ice cream netflix out uh, 10 hour have you got uh, whatever it is um but but if you go back like i always think like if you went back hundreds of years like i think about that with regard i'm not going to get specific here because people would just fly into a rage and even i don't want to provoke rage unnecessarily right now it doesn't change how I view things but like when people modify their bodies or feel that they have to modify their bodies in order to be who they want to be and that could be anything that could be these very extreme examples that are a big part of the political conversation or it could be tattoos although people have always done tattoos or it could be any it could be building muscle for that matter like becoming a ripped bodybuilder 
like when it comes to all of these ways that we try to modify ourselves to be who we think we want to be, I always think, what if you weren't able to do that? Because even with bodybuilding, like men weren't able to do that at a certain point in time. The average man wasn't able to do that. Like, yeah, you could you you could be muscular, you could be a warrior. You could be lean, you could be fit, you could be strong. But when you look at pictures of men from, you know, even the 19... You look at boxers from the 1920s and 30s, and they're barrel-chested, but they're not ripped. They're not veiny. They don't look like what we consider bodybuilders today. They look like tough guys, and they could probably knock out any ripped bodybuilder from today. These were tough people. They grew up in tough circumstances, and you'll see where, like, they have, like, a puffed-out chest. Or, or an example is, uh, I have these, uh, the Forbidden Worlds comics. They're pulpy. I'm not a big pulp guy, but I love the Forbidden Worlds comics. They're, they often play on mysticism and the occult. I have all these collections of them, tons of them. And they're, they're really fun, you know, and, and the art is awesome. But they have advertisements in them for... There's like Jack LaLanne, but there's also just these like beach advertisements for like get like develop a chest quickly. Do you want to be a skinny little uh, a puke? They don't say puke. They didn't say puke about people. They were like, do you want to be a skinny little shrimp? That's what they would say, a shrimp. Or do you want to, you know, be a, a whopping lobster? And they would have these pictures of like a skinny guy on the beach Sometimes a drawing, sometimes a photo, and then they would have like the the muscular guy, but the this guy who is supposed to represent like a a ridiculously built man in the nineteen fifties by today's standards is just like any guy who goes to the gym. You know, I might be exaggerating a little, but still, like you look at him, and if you were to see that guy, you'd be like, okay, that guy lifts weights, but he's not. He doesn't look like a some insane bodybuilder because that just wasn't the thing then. It's like both nutrition and just, you know, men didn't just spend three hours every day in the gym then. Like there wasn't that same level of vanity because there really isn't that much function. As somebody who does value fitness and does want to build muscle and just kind of does it in his own way, you know, it's it, it's not like it's that functional. It's not like you need to be that strong to live your life and do what you want to do even with fighting it's like we know that even when it comes to like defending yourself or being a warrior it's not like you need to have huge muscles and that actually could be a detriment because we know that guys who are like strong men guys who are bodybuilders actually have limited mobility in some cases so anyway point being is just that men back then you know just it, it, it just wasn't something that really crossed their mind and it it wasn't even as possible or as accessible. And does that mean they couldn't be who they should be? Like if a man today thinks like, you know, who I really want to be is just this like walking, you know, just this block. I, I just want to be this upside down pyramid. You know, I want my shoulders to, I, I want to, you know, damage doorways when I walk through them because my shoulders are so big, you know. Men these days kind of think that's their ultimate self. And I think that's cool. Like, if you do that, that's cool. And, you know, I'm very into fitness. I'm very into, you know, I want muscles. I want all that stuff. I won't lie. 
But it's just like if if 300 years ago, if you couldn't do that, would you die wanting? Would you die thinking, I didn't do it? And you can take that and apply that to other things that are a bit more controversial that I won't get into. And I'm not saying that to make some declaration about them, but it's a, it's a valid question. What would you do if the science wasn't there? What would you do if you didn't have a gym? What would you do if you couldn't have an ultra-detailed tattoo of a woodcut on your forearm? You know, what would you do if you lived in a time where certain things weren't possible? Would you die wanting? Would you have to be reincarnated so that you would eventually be reincarnated so many times that you would live in an era where the science and the culture allowed you to do that thing? Like my first year of college, and and I've gotten so far away from my original point, and I will get back there. But my first year at college, they were introduced, it was a sociology class, and they were introducing us to a bunch of ideas, and the teacher made the, the mind-blowing point. She said, her name was Tosca, and she wore hockey jerseys to class, my teacher. Um, very stoic. I liked her. You know, I don't really remember much about her, but anyway, that's my that's my rate my teacher <laughs> review. Um, but she made the point. She was like, some of you girls like and this and she was a lesbian or something. You know, she was definitely Yeah, she 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 had something going on. I, I don't know I don't know what her lifestyle consisted of, but I mean she was definitely not feminine. Uh but she said to the class, she was like, Some of you girls like you know, if you lived 200 years ago, you wouldn't be allowed to wear pants, and you would just accept it. And this girl raised her hand. She goes, I wouldn't have accepted it. And the teacher goes, okay. The girl goes, I know that if I lived 200 years ago, I, would, I wouldn't have just worn dresses. I would have worn pants. And the teacher is like, eh, I don't know, but okay. And the girl just, she continued. And it was just so funny to watch that because it's just like, okay. Okay, yeah, you would have worn pants. You would have been the one woman wearing pants. And on your gravestone, it would have said, She wore pants. And then I raised my hand in that class, and I said, I'll bet you a steak dinner. I'll bet you a steak dinner that you would not have worn pants. We're going to go back in a time machine, and and we're going to see how tough you are and whether you really would have worn pants now. I'll bet you a steak dinner you wouldn't have worn pants. Kind of relates to what I'm talking about. It's like, no, no, no. It's like being like, no, no, no. I, If I lived 200 years ago, uh, I I would have, um, my macros would have been like this, this percent protein, this percent carbs, and I would have, uh, you know, had the same exact build that I have today that I've cultivated by going to 24-hour fitness. It's all the same argument. It's like, you know, just certain things are not possible. And does that mean that you die wanting? Or do you do your best? Like, do you die wanting if you were a woman 300 years ago who couldn't wear pants? I mean, it's stupid that women can't, couldn't wear pants. I prefer a woman in pants. I like a woman in a dress. I like a woman in a skirt, sure. But I actually prefer pants for, for reasons I won't go into. I like a nice pair of pants on a woman. I do. 
We all know why. We all know why it's great that women wear pants. We all know why that is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's like I always ask that question though. It's like, do you die wanting? You only know what you know, and you can only do what you can do. And the idea that somehow because you couldn't do a certain thing because the science wasn't available or the circumstances weren't available, you know, does that mean that that you just have to keep being reincarnated until you can do that thing and be yourself? Well, I got news for you because you're probably going to be reincarnated as someone else entirely who doesn't even care about that thing that you think that you may have wanted to do if society allowed it or the science was there or 24-hour fitness existed or if a certain surgery was available or if your favorite oh your favorite tattoo artist didn't live in the 1700s so you never could have gotten that tattoo that made your life complete oh my god you just got to keep getting reincarnated until you happen to exist in the right time and place so that Darren, your tattoo artist, can give you a detailed woodcut on your shin. Anyway, um, I I just think about that. I just think about, like, you know, you, you make do with the, the time in which you live. And that doesn't mean you're always going to do everything that you want to do or that your soul craves. My soul craves pants. My soul craves a woodcut tattoo and pants, but society doesn't allow neither in the year 1750. Uh, but any, anyway, uh, I was talking about, you know, being able to trace things back and, you know, I was talking about running. This, this is all started because I got excited about running again, which I think has helped my lung. You know, I've mentioned that I think, uh, I think I probably had coronavirus and it, even though it's a hoax, it damaged my lung. But running, I've been able to do it and not as intensely because I've decided that just running at all right now is good. And I don't call it jogging, even though sometimes that's all I can do. Who wants to jog? I'm a jogger. I like jogging. Oh, I'm jogging. I, I think of it as running because even though I know that I'm Probably not. I know that I'm probably not going to get back into the just intense running I was doing for a few years. Just, I don't have the time. I, I just, I don't know how my lung would handle it. I, I don't know anything, man. It's just, you know, it, just approaching it right now is like, hey, you know what? I can run for 45 minutes straight. Depending on how my knees feel, my lung doesn't seem to have much of an issue with it. And just being able to do that at all right now after taking time off and not knowing if I could do it because of my lung, because of just everything, that's wonderful. And if I push it, I, I run an hour, that's great too. But it's just right now running at all is wonderful. So why take it further? Why create this false need to push myself? I've proven myself in past years, so why do I need to do that? I don't. But uh, this all got started because... I was thinking about how an unlikely person can plant the seed in your head that causes you to do something, and you can trace that back. In the same way that I could trace that idea back about worrying about the wannabes rather than the real deal, in the same way that you know the, the Puerto Rican roommate from Florida told me, 
you got to worry about the wannabes, not the real gangsters. The real gangsters don't want anything to do with you. Worry about the wannabes. And that's so true in every aspect of your life, even in the workplace. You know, it's like you got to worry about the you know, the coworker who's trying to get a promotion or a raise and they think that they can only get it at your expense. You have to worry about them. The person who's already uh, proven themselves at work as a reliable and consistent employee, chances are they just want to do their job and get along with people. But uh, anyway, you know, I trace that idea back to him. I can trace a lot of ideas back to my friends. I mean, I could look at like some of my lifelong best friends and be like, yeah, I got a million ideas from them. They planted a million seeds. But it's, it's different with something physical. It's interesting when it's something physical because running is one of those. And I can tell you exactly when the seed was planted that made me want to run. And I had this friend in my hometown. I was still in high school, and, and I think he had graduated, but he was from Kirkland, Washington. Aaron. His name's Aaron Stewart. And we actually met through my now deceased friend, Death Metal Tom. And, and everybody called him Death Metal Tom. That's not my own nickname. He was known as Death Metal Tom, and I've spoken of him before. He drank himself to death. Very normal-looking guy who would wear just brutal death metal shirts. And I mean brutal death metal, the genre. You know, like the only guy, probably one of few high school students in 2001 who was wearing a Brodican shirt to high school. You know, he was into all range of metal, particularly death metal. But yeah, he had a, I think that's how you pronounce that band name. They're a brutal death metal. Brodekin? Brodekin? I don't know how to say it, but he would wear Brodekin, 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 Brodekin shirts to, to high school. But he was this really normal looking, just blonde, short haired dude, jeans. But all of his shirts were just various stuff that was, you know, relatively obscure for the time, too, even for death metal. It's not like he was wearing. Cannibal corpse shirts. Uh, cannibal lector. Um, cannibal lector. Uh, no, it's not like he was just wearing that kind of stuff. It was like he was wearing some weird stuff. But somehow, like, Death Metal Tom put me in touch with this other dude in town, Aaron. And uh, he was like one of the only dudes who was into experimental music, noise, but also into metal and different things. And we jammed one time. We had all these plans to start bands that never panned out, and we only jammed one time in his parents' living room with his parents there, and I brought, I think, a few small amplifiers over, a couple small amps over, and he had a big one with some kind of vintage head, you know, an amplifier head, and we just started uh, jamming, just making, you know, crazy noises with our equipment. And his stepdad was a biker. His stepdad was a you know a Harley Davidson type of guy. I think he had a mustache. I, I want to say he was wearing a leather vest, but he was a Harley Davidson style biker. And I remember him walking into the living room and just kind of shaking his head, you know. And that <laughs> that's always a good that's good atmosphere. I think they had an eagle on the mantle, like a wooden eagle on the mantle. Just real like down home people, you know, down home pagan people is how I felt. You know, I didn't I didn't know his family well, but like I really enjoyed that moment in time because here we were just making this awful racket in their living room, 
and his, and his stepdad's this, you know, Harley Davidson biker who just walks in and shakes his head. And then there was a lapse, like there was a moment of silence where we, we stopped jamming. And I remember his stepdad came in and was like, Aaron, take the trash out. You know, it was like one of those moments where it's just like, what are these kids doing? What are these guys doing? Um, but anyway, Aaron, he's a guy I stayed in touch with over the years. And I think he moved to Colorado and some different places. And I was actually talking to him this morning, which got me thinking about this. Because he he got really into not just long-distance running, not just cross-country running, but running mountains. And I paid close attention to because it was so fascinating and it was so unexpected. I didn't expect this guy to get into this. I didn't expect him to uh, to be somebody who would get into some sort of... Uh, he was a tall, thin guy. So, like, I, I don't know. I just didn't expect him to be into some sort of athletic activity, just personality-wise, too. And, you know, and he could probably tell you where that seed was planted in his head. But I paid close attention online to, like, his online profiles over the years because I was just like, this is so interesting. Like, he runs mountains, and he's sponsored. He had some sort of sponsorship, and they wear very specific shoes. Like, it wasn't just running shoes. It was, like, these very, like, form-fitting shoes for running mountains, if I remember right. And I would look at some of the other people who he ran with and, like, some of the people he looked up to because he would talk about, like, oh, this guy, you know, is, is the best at, at doing this. You know, everything has its own world. That's something I've realized, you know, over the years is, like, everything has its own world. Everything has its own heroes. And in the world of guys who run extremely long distances on mountains, rocky mountains, I mean, this stuff is impressive. Like, there's a guy who's considered the best at that. There are guys who are considered, there's guys who the other guys look at and they're like, oh yeah, he's the real deal. Everything has that. And that's amazing that, that in every field, there's somebody who sets themselves apart. I'm just, that's so amazing to me about humans is there is an elite at everything. But I paid close attention to what Aaron was doing because it was just so impressive to me that he did that, that he committed himself to that, because that's not, I mean, I don't even need to tell you that's not easy. And I say that because, you know, even when I got in good shape, I grew up fat and I got in good shape and I played sports. Like I was, I was an athletic fat guy, I would say, but you're still a fat guy at the end of the day, you know, and you don't like to run. Like I hated running. I hated running the mile in school, like in, in, uh, you know, elementary school through high school in gym class they would make you run the mile once a year and it just meant I was just disgusting the rest of the day like I was probably last I was one of the last people to finish I you know I was just covered in you know sweat and filth the whole rest of the day I keep hearing loud noises outside what are they doing what are they doing out there I'm amazed Batty's not freaking out um uh, but uh, anyway, like, you know, it was just, it was awful. Running the mile was awful. And, you know, I played football and I hated running in, in football. They would make us run laps. They would make us run sprints in our full football gear. So I, I was never somebody who, even when I got in good shape, like even when I lost a lot of weight as an adult, as a young adult, I lost a lot of weight and uh, enjoyed walking for, you know, I'd go on a three-hour walk. I'll walk any distance, you know, even when I got into that. 
the idea of running was foreign. I never imagined myself running, but I watched what Aaron was doing because it seemed, I mean, like, I guess I'm somebody too, who I've been surrounded by, even though I have an athletic background, I played sports growing up and that kind of thing. And I'm a fan of sports. I'm not one of these artists or people who's like sports ball. Oh, oh, that's stupid. You know, I'm not one of those people at all. I love sports. I love athletics. I love competition. Uh, but, uh, and I, and, and that's, that's been a strange thing for me just to go off on another tangent with art because I kind of brought that mindset with me into art, even though, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I have a lot of toxic masculinity as they say, not in the sense that I think you, not in the sense that people use it where it's like, yeah, I respect women, you know, I, I've slept with extremely few women. You know, I've never forced myself on a woman, but I, I think, you know, I, I'm proudly toxic. <laughs> I'm proudly toxic when it comes to like that competitive drive and breaking balls. Like for me, being a guy involves like busting each other's balls and insulting each other sometimes. And not in that like, hey, your mom's, a, your mom's a big fat, blah, blah, blah. You know, not in that sense, but just sort of like, like kind of pushing yourself through insult like like I think about like my friend Miles who's like not an athlete an athlete like he he runs or he was running for a few years but but he didn't I don't think he grew up with an athletic background or any of that but like I think about some of the messages he would leave me like calling my phone and I would I would check my messages and it'd be like I mean I can't repeat what he would say it, it you get in trouble for the words he would say these days um you fucking, <laughs> uh, you fucking, f- <laughs> but, uh, no, but like, that's always just been a part of it is like not being mean spirited necessarily, but it's like you push each other and you criticize each other and you bust each other's balls. And it's not like that's all that these things are, but it's just that like, you're comfortable with that and you realize some people aren't and that's okay. And you don't want to be mean spirited. You don't want to be cruel. But I guess like that, that sort of competitive spirit, that sort of like sparring has always been a part of my life. And sometimes it does get too serious. Like I think about my best friend growing up where we would get in fights. Some of my best friends we would get in real fights. But things coming to a head is wonderful. Like I think about like my childhood best friend, Nick, and like we would go like a year sometimes without being close friends because it would just come to a head and, and you know, here... I mean, I'm getting messages from him this morning and, you know, there's no, no greater soul on this planet as far as I'm concerned, but it's like part of that comes. One of the reasons I consider him a brother and such a close friend is because you can spar and sometimes the sparring is good natured and sometimes you get a little, sometimes you start hitting a little too hard and that's just part of it. And some people can't handle that, but I very much brought that mindset with me to creativity and when I've been involved in, I guess for lack of a better term, like creative communities, <laughs> a creative community. But no, you know, being involved with music and stuff, I brought that with me too. And I think that's off-putting for some people. And then it turns out, guess what? Behind closed doors, that's what everybody does. Behind closed doors, it turns out you find out that all these people who are, as they say, fake nice, are the cattiest bitches you've ever you could ever possibly imagine I mean just let me just give a very concrete example you know I have a background with what's called noise music 
I was very involved in that. I've been involved in other music as well, but I was very involved with, uh, you know, noise, experimental, ambient, and there were message boards for it. And I, I'm not embarrassed to talk about that stuff. I'm not embarrassed by message boards. I'm not embarrassed by social media. It's all nature, baby. All that stuff is nature. A caveman looks at a book the same way you look at Facebook. A caveman looks at a book and says, oh my God, that's embarrassing. Oh, you're talking about a book? Tell a verbal story. You ever heard of, you ever heard of oral storytelling? That's what a caveman would say about you and your book. But anyway, um, just a sec, I want to test something. Test, test, test. Test. I've, I've been having so many audio issues. But anyway, I was involved with noise music, and like a lot of the way that people communicated through that was online through message boards, because it was such a, you know, everybody was disconnected, it's all kinds of weird people coming from different places, and almost everybody was an artist or a label or that kind of thing. And, and I'll admit, I was a huge dick. And I was, I think I was too much of a dick and I, I was critical of other people's work. I would, I would throw jabs at people. I have some, I had a friend who was kind of the same where he, he's very critical and he would, and people hate him for it. <laughs> you know, I, they don't hate him, but like they just, uh, it's like he, th- their feelings get hurt really easily. They're very sensitive because he's like, uh, I consider him the Simon Cowell, I mean, I, I was talking to him. I told him this recently. Like, he's got that sort of Simon Cowell effect where he's a very critical guy and his criticisms have hurt people because they're true. And I love that. I love it when somebody's criticisms are true because people are throwing so much shit at you. Like, people will insult you. Like, something that really bothers me is when someone insults you for a reason that isn't true. And this guy, I don't think he was, I've never known him to be insulting. I've just known him to be very critical. And the thing is, though, is that people would overlook his encouragement. They would over, like, I mean, I don't know that I would have dedicated myself to, you know, certain things as much as I did without this guy's encouragement. We would have these long conversations, and I, he seemed to be paying attention to what I was doing in ways that nobody else was, because a lot of other people were so caught up in their own shit that they weren't actually, like, this guy was actually paying attention and immersing himself in art, for lack of a better term. Why not just call it art, you know? And so people like us, we get a reputation for being assholes. And I don't I don't mind that reputation because I think, you know, I can be I can veer into, you know, being a little mean spirited. But, uh, you know, in this in this noise world and, you know, it's not like that was the, the, the entirety of that world that we were in. But people did communicate on these message boards. And so you had people like us who just in public were just like, oh, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> you know, we, we were just like that. And then it came out, though, that all these guys who were very established and had You know, in that world, like talking about people who set themselves apart, like in this mountain running world that my friend is in, there are guys who set themselves apart. There were a bunch of guys who set themselves apart in that world, and they were very nice on the surface. And I like some of these guys. Some of these guys are my friends, so I'm not saying this as some sort of like, they're going to hell. No, these are good people, I think, overall. But it came out that they had a secret club. They had like a secret sub forum on this noise, this is how, this is nerdy, of course, you know, a a noise message board with its own, like, secret forum, and I wasn't a member, I didn't, I wasn't part of the club, 
and it, but it, someone like revealed it. Someone revealed the whole thing, and all the messages became public. And it was like the cattiest, bitchiest shit you could ever imagine. If guys like me and my friend were considered assholes, these guys were were so much worse. They were they were. Uh, I, the only thing I can think of is catty. Catty little bitches, which I understand is contradictory because cats and dogs. A dog's a bitch. A cat's a, a cat. But no, it, it was the cattiest, bitchiest shit you could ever imagine. Um, and so, it, like that to me has always bothered me more. And like I, I don't have any. Like there was nothing about me in there. Like there was nothing about me personally. Nobody was talking shit about me privately, so I don't have any personal investment in it. But when I, when that was revealed, it was just like, oh yeah, you guys, you're salesmen. You're you put on a face, you put on a smile, you like to sell your hundred copies of a tape or whatever it is you do, and behind closed doors, you are nasty. And I'm prone to that. I've done that myself. You know, I'm not saying that I haven't talked shit behind people's backs. I'm not saying I've never done that. I don't know. It just crossed my mind. I don't know why I went on this tangent. I guess I'm just saying that, you know, I, I kind of like, I like it when a competitive spirit is right up, up front. Because when it's not, it tends to manifest in this catty way. And it's all nature, baby. It's all nature. And that includes the internet, that includes the old internet, that includes the new internet, that includes your smartphone, that includes the mountain <laughs> that, that my friend was running on. And I'll get back to that. I, I, just, I just had to justify, like, I guess I'm, maybe I'm justifying some of my own tendencies here to be an asshole. But for me, my philosophy has always been like, I'd rather somebody be an asshole on the surface and you find out they have a heart of gold underneath than for them to present this heart of gold to the world and you to find out they're being an asshole behind your back. And like I said, I've, I've certainly been an asshole behind people's backs too, so I'm not exempt from this. It's all just shit we're working through. And I, and you know, and, and all this, this isn't, I, I didn't bring any of this up to like hold this against anybody. I'm just simply saying that people do this. And you have to, I don't know, things need to be addressed head on. But, uh, you know, you know, for me, it's like that, that competition is something I bring to everything I do. And it's ultimately a competition with myself. Like when I was into running, I never, and I, and I am again, I'm, I'm getting back into running. Uh, but no, when I was into really into like hard running, I never once felt like there's somebody out there who I'm trying to beat. It was always like, I'm that person I'm trying to beat. And that's my greatest motivation. But sometimes it does veer into other people. Sometimes you do think there's somebody else. But other people also inspire you. And let's just get back to that. I went on this long... I was being kind of catty, I admit. I think I was being kind of catty with this whole tangent about artists and people and stuff like that. But it's just... I mean, that's been... If I ever sound particularly critical of artists on this show, it's for this reason. It's because a lot of them have denied that competitive spirit in themselves. A lot of them, like, have this, in my opinion, manufactured sensitive artist who... I don't like jocks. I'm an artist. You know, like, people act like art doesn't include all of the same components as everything else. You can't get rid of these things. Art is filled with this, but it ends up being way more backbiting in my experience. 
Like when I played football growing up, not everybody liked each other, but there wasn't really a reason to talk shit about your teammates behind your back. Sure, it happened, but it's like there was no reason to talk shit about your teammates behind your back because chances are you were physically running straight into each other as part of some drill. Like you're doing a tackling drill and you're getting all of the possible aggression that you could ever possibly get out of your system out on that person. So it's like, there's not a need, like it doesn't fester. Whereas my experience with art, especially when you put a lot of artists together, is it festers. There's still a competitive spirit. There's still all of that stuff there. You can't get rid of it, but it festers because it doesn't come out. And maybe it's good. Maybe good art comes from that festering. I think in some cases, good things came, came from things that festered inside of me, you know, creatively, whatever. Uh, and I never want to sound like I'm some like super accomplished artist. I just think that I'm somebody who in certain niches did what I wanted to do. And, and you, I still want to do things or whatever when I, when I feel like it, but I just, I just wanted to say that. But anyway, the seed, we got to get back to the seed. The seed was planted by an artist, Maybe that's a good way to tie this all together. The person who inspired me to start running was somebody that I met because we were the only people in my hometown who had an interest in intense experimental music. And we jammed in his parents' living room. I was in high school. You know, the only per- the person who inspired me to do this was an artist. And... He didn't inspire me by telling me, Hey, have you ever thought about running? Hey, Eric, uh, long time no talk. Uh, You ever think about running? He didn't inspire me by saying that. He inspired me simply by setting an example. And I can tell you the exact moment where I wanted to run. Like, I saw what he was doing. I saw that he, I mean, and, and two, like, I have to tell you, this mountain running, this, like, long distance mountain running, like, these guys lose a lot of weight. Like, these guys look like, like, you have to be thin, you have to be gaunt to do this, but also, you know, muscular, obviously, but, you know, very thin, very lean is the word they use. Uh, <laughs> the word they use. <laughs> but, uh, no, these guys, um, these guys, uh, they look like a bunch of skeletons running around a mountain. Like, they look like these, like, skeleton warriors just like running along a rocky mountain it it is so crazy and there's the air is thin so their lungs must be incredible you know it was just it's just that was incredible to me just witnessing that but there was no like there was no in like when I saw that he was doing that there was no like I didn't see that and go oh I want to do that it seemed impenetrable like as somebody who grew up fat and like hated running the idea of being this skeleton soldier running along a mountainside gasping for air, but you're not gasping for air because your lungs have developed to be this, you know, skeletal mountain soldier. You know, it's it's like that just that's not that just seemed like something I, I would never even consider doing. It seemed impossible to even think about doing. But there was this one time where he my friend Aaron participated in a some sort of competition, you know, some sort of running competition. And he posted his breakfast. He went out for breakfast afterward, and he posted a photo of his breakfast. And, you know, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe he could correct me if he ever hears this. 
And hopefully he doesn't mind me going off about, you know, <laughs> this weird like voyeurism of me like watching his his running over the years. Um, but he posted a photo of his breakfast and I believe I saw French toast. I believe I saw French toast. <laughs> I think there was French toast. I think it was just it was a proper breakfast. It looked like it was at, you know, a cafe. And it was early, you know, because he whatever this competition he did was very early in the morning, so it was still time for breakfast when he was done, which is awesome. The idea of finishing some insane mountain run and it still being morning to have a big breakfast and you've just depleted yourself of calories so you can just eat whatever you want and not feel like shit physically, not just mentally, but physically. And so, like, he posted this just really big breakfast and all I remember is French toast maybe I'm just a hallucinating French toast here but I'm pretty sure I saw like a big old piece of French toast and I thought my like I just saw that and I I thought not just like that looks like a good breakfast I thought that must feel so good to eat that breakfast after running on a mountain all morning running up a mountain and then eating that breakfast. That must feel so good. Not even as a reward, but just as a process. And my mind didn't go this far with it. It's not like I was thinking all these thoughts, but it was just like a pure, like, I think I had like a visceral reaction to it. And I didn't buy running shoes and immediately start running. I think it actually took me a few years. But like I said, that was when that seed got planted. And I just thought that breakfast looks incredible. I bet it feels so good to run, go for an intense run on a mountain and eat that breakfast. So it's incredible that I can trace back my desire to run, to start running at age 30, to seeing like a photo of someone's breakfast at age 25 or, you know, whatever age I was, you know, 27, who knows what, I don't know what age I was when I saw the freaking breakfast, okay? Um, but, uh, that I can trace it back to that moment. And there were a couple other things that inspired me to run. One of them was Marshawn Lynch of the Seahawks. Like when Marshawn Lynch was in his Seahawks prime, his running style, his agility and strength, you know, and he has those famous runs, the beast quake, you know, that he's, he's the source of the phrase beast mode, which you hear all the time, you know, go in beast mode. That all comes from Marshawn Lynch. He called himself beast mode. And he had a couple runs, in particular one run in the playoffs that was called the beast quake. And that inspired me as well. But that didn't plant the seed. Like watching Marshawn Lynch run when the Seahawks were at their peak and won the Super Bowl and all that, that didn't like make me go, oh, I'm going to run now because Marshawn Lynch, this elite running back, makes running look really cool. You know, I didn't think it then. The seed had been planted by my friend Aaron and his breakfast, you know, and, not, and it's not even a reward thing because, like, for me, fitness has nothing to do with the reward. It's the process. And what you eat afterward, that's the process. You know, I don't think of it as like, oh, boy, that carrot at the end of the stick. Oh, that piece of French toast. I mean, I haven't had French toast for probably 20 years. So I never rewarded myself with French toast, uh, d despite being inspired by it. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, so it's like you, that seed, like, like being able to say that, like this one guy I knew because he had similar taste in like drone and noise and ambient and metal. Like the fact that this random dude from my hometown 
who I met and became friends with inspired me to run while living in another state years later. It's just, that's just the miracle of life. You know, it's just, that's like, that's beautiful. And I, he messaged me this morning about something related to music and we were talking and I, I was like, I don't know if I've ever told you, but I, I probably have. This is probably like one of those like, you know, I don't drink anymore, but like when I was when I was a drunk, I was very much, believe it or not, I was very much like one of those, uh, I ever tell you how much I love you. Did I ever tell you about the time that you inspired me to, to do, I was very much that kind of drunk. Not that I didn't get mad or angry or weird sometimes, but if I was hanging out with friends when I drank, I was very much that sort of drunk. And now that's just sort of me. Like, I I try to tell people, like, did I ever tell you how, like, even though I'm sober now, like, you planted the seed in my brain to, you know, that, that's, that's me now, sober. But uh, I was talking to him this morning, and right before I right before I hit record, I was just like, you know what, I got to tell him. Even if I've already told him. Even if I've already told him once, twice, three times, I need to tell him again. That, that, well, I need to tell him now because I started running again. I need to tell him every time I restart running, I need to tell him. Did you? Did I ever tell you the story about how you planted the seed in my brain to start running? Did I ever tell you that? You know, that'll be my thing. That's my own. Uh, <laughs> that's my tick. But think about that. Just think about the people who planted a seed. And think about the fact, and don't get caught up in it, but think about like what seeds you've planted in other people. It could be just the last thing you would ever expect. Because like I know my friend Aaron, like, you know, I, I doubt he would ever expect, oh yeah, Eric Stonefelt, you know, the guy that I knew through music and he makes this intense music and art or whatever. Uh, I don't know what he thinks of me, but he's my friend. And, you know, I, I doubt he would ever say, oh yeah, you know, like, uh, I bet, I bet that I will, by running, I bet that I'm going to inspire him to run someday by posting a photo of my French toast. I'm going to inspire him to run someday. You know, you would never even imagine he would never imagine that I would never imagine that. And that's how it all works. That's the mystery of life. That's the equation that you can't force. That's the equation that you can't do in your head. Those are the things that you just that just happen. And you might not even notice. This is where noticing becomes important. You have to notice that that happened. You have to notice that that was what inspired you. And you might think that you're being like, you know, it's like these guys who, you know, like I've said before, like despite being really into fitness, I'm not into fitness culture, even though I understand the attraction. But these guys to, who like post photos every time they go to the gym, which I do now and again, and I don't go to the gym, but after I do a workout every once in a while, like you want to take a shirtless photo sometimes, you know, you, you want to do that. You work hard. It's weird to have a body, and it's weird to modify your body slowly, gradually over time, and it's weird to have breakthroughs where you notice this muscle looks bigger than it used to. You know, it's cool, you know, and so it's not all vanity. Some of it's just being astonished at this body and this life, and, and you know, don't get caught up in thinking everybody's vain, but that said, you know, I'm not that into fitness culture because there's some guys where it's their life, women, Women, too, of course. And, like, every time they go to the gym, every time they work out, they post some photo, and they're like, get it. Get it. Grind. Dude, grind. 
get it grind. Get it and grind. You can do it. You can realize your dreams, dude. You know, like people do that. And I, I just, I don't like that. And I don't know that that, maybe that inspires somebody, but what I'm getting at here is there is a magic to inspiration. There is a magic to the seed that gets planted that can bloom into something totally unexpected. And like if my friend Aaron had posted photos years ago going, grind, become a skeletal soldier who runs along the mountainside, I probably never would have ran. Like if his entire thing was just like, grinding today have you oh have you have you grinded like some jocko will willink like it's 4 a.m and i've uh i've already you know finished my workout you know which is cool like that is cool to me and i love that feeling i love having that feeling myself and i know how tempting it is to say that and sometimes maybe you got to and maybe that does inspire people but it's like if, if that friend of mine had taken that approach or if that was his only thing, like, was just like, yeah, I ran uh, 60 miles on a mountain with with the other skeleton warriors today. Gr- I mean, that'd be cool. But but if it was just this this grind, get it, that would never have inspired me to run. That didn't inspire me to get into fitness. But, you know, just something simple can can completely change your life from somebody completely unexpected. And notice when it happens and give credit where it's due. And I guess this comes back to giving credit where it's due, where it's like sometimes you get an idea from somebody. Sometimes your friend tells you about a band. Sometimes your friend tells you to watch a movie or read a book and you go, okay, like I heard about this from so-and-so. But there are times where it's some, the process is something you can't really map out. You don't really know what that equation is. But if you notice it, you can complete it somehow that that equate like for me that equation is complete Aaron Stewart was a skeletal warrior and I make him sound like he's some like emaciated wraith which isn't true but still like he was a skeletal warrior running along the mountains he ate a big breakfast one day that that filled in one part of the equation a desire to get in shape filled in another part of the equation Seeing Marshawn Lynch just terrorize other teams with his running style, that was part of the equation. There are probably other parts of the equation too, but we don't have all day here. We don't have all day here. I'll bet you a steak dinner that you can't end this episode in under an hour. An hour. 54 minutes. We're going to end it. I'm going to get that steak dinner. In fact, I got two cuts of steak. They're cheap steaks. Cheap steaks. Uh, <laughs> um, I got a couple like little steaks I got the other day. Uh, I think I might have a steak tonight. I'll bet you a steak dinner. I finished this episode in under an hour. Notice where you got your inspiration to do something. You don't have to, but it's cool to trace things back. It's cool to figure out that equation sometimes and say, oh, so-and-so did that thing. And in this completely unexpected way, inspired me. It's just wonderful. It's wonderful. And I, yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to get to I'm actually just teasing you right now. 55 minutes. I got to factor in there's about a minute of Pat Boone. So we got to close this out otherwise I'm not getting that steak dinner, but I'm going to tell you right now. I think I'm going to have that steak dinner tonight. <laughs> Yeah.
God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children 